this passage is so much more about what Jesus and his disciples did and how he answered the criticism of the Pharisees for what they did, because in this narrative and on this event, Jesus makes a pronouncement that is overwhelming in its importance for us and for our understanding of him. Today on the Song Time broadcast, we are looking at Luke chapter 6 as Jesus claims to be the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath. The late great Dr. R.C. Sproul will unpack these peculiar statements and what they mean for us even today. But first, we're going to be talking with Jamie Erickson, the author of a unique book with a very unique title. It's called Holy Huget. Well, to find out more information about what that means, as the many voices come together for that one message, I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Our guest today is Jamie Erickson, and she's written a book called Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. It is a rather unique book, and just the title itself, I'm sure I'm not getting it right, but Huga, it comes from a Danish tradition. It's this community idea of a family gathering together and providing a place for people to flourish. And it's actually a very interesting book, especially when we apply this principle to a gospel mentality and our call to be hospitable. And Jamie, this is rather unique, and uh, I captured my attention. I'm sure it's going to capture the attention of our listeners as well. But what is it about this Danish tradition of Huga that uh, you call Holy Huga? What is it that makes it special and something that we can bring into our Christian understanding of the gospel? Yeah, Huga is not a faith-based idea. It's just a lifestyle practice. But as I mentioned before, I feel like um, so many layers of Huga, you can actually see those in Christ, the person of Christ who we are supposed to be modeling. And so my book really does uh, give us a glimpse of what it looks like at the intersection of this, you know, regular lifestyle and our life in Christ. Huga is just a tool, one of many that we as believers can employ to really mirror the abundant life to the world. It gives us some practical handholds. Um, but again, it's it's not a, a faith-based practice. But I would argue that Christ modeled um, a one-piece life. His secular and his sacred were together. You know, he was a man that uh, he was a man, both man and God. He healed people of their sins, called them out of their sin, but he also used regular everyday tools like clay and spit. And and so I feel like um, we're allowed to do that as well. Huga is just one tool that I can use to proclaim the truth, proclaim the love of Christ to the world. This idea of community is so important, and it's something established mm-hmm. by Jesus himself. He says, by this, others will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, by talking about the, the brotherhood of the Christian fellowship. And we mm-hmm. also see that in Galatians, where uh, Paul is instructing the church to love one another, but particularly to love the church, to love the people mm-hmm. within their community. That is something that is also very attractive to the world, a community that is made mm-hmm. up of a very diverse individual but have a bond that it, it transcends any common sense. Mm-hmm. Especially in our you know, post-pandemic world where our 
ability to gather together and actually have face-to-face conversations and know how to do that well, we, we've kind of lost our muscle memory to do that well. And the whole world is craving connection. I mean, who doesn't want to be seen and known and loved? And so I believe as believers, we have something to offer the world that they are intrinsically craving. You know, we're all, ever since the garden, we're all nomads wandering this life, searching for home. Well, you and I have true and lasting home. And, and Christ has offered that to us. And, and it should be our delight to be able to extend that to our family, our friends and neighbors. Now, what are the specific qualities of Hugo that you want to apply or bring into this understanding of the gospel? Yeah, there are seven that I focus on in the book. Again, they're, they're not the only seven, but I think that they're the foundations of Hugo, and that's hospitality, relationships, well-being, and that's kind of the care of oneself and the care of others, atmosphere, comfort, and contentment, and then rest. And I think if you unpack each one of those, you can find them um, both, again, in the garden, in the life of Christ, deeply rooted in scripture. It's sort of the bread and butter of our faith, if you will. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about hospitality. I think this is, in particular, a post-COVID, a post-pandemic kind of mindset. Uh, Hospitality is uh, both, in some ways, more attractive, but it's also a little more challenging. Right. Well, the root word for hospitality actually is um, the same word that we get the word hospital from. And so in that sense, when we are opening our door, we are being able to be like first responders to the world. God called his children, the Israelites, to be a hospitable nation. In fact, it was a grave offense if you were a Jew and you did not leave, you know, the sides of your tent open or have a welcoming door. Um, And you can see that modeled with some of the heroes of faith um, because his view of hospitality was to welcome the stranger. It's really easy for us to grab for our friends and our neighbors, those who are like us, who look like us, who are easy to welcome in. But God wants us to take it one step further and welcome the stranger. And if you look at the life of Christ, you know, he was always gathered around people celebrating over over a feast. In fact, at one point when he wasn't invited to someone's house, he invited himself, you know, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And he, um, book ended his life with feasting with gathering with people and and so the very last meal that he spent here on earth um he welcomed somebody he knew would betray him but he sent the invite anyway we've been talking with jamie erickson about her excellent book it's called holy huga creating a place for people to gather and the gospel to grow. And I have to admit, I don't think that this showed up on my radar except for the past couple of years where we haven't had a place. We really haven't been able to provide places for people to really feel comfortable and safe and also get the the essence of what we have in our love for each other and our love for Jesus Christ. Uh, this is an issue that I think that we need to be proactive at creating. And this book is a great resource as I have been praising my church recently over the past couple of weeks, just because I've noticed this just love and bond and wanting to be together. Uh, We have a a meal after every service on Sunday, and the fact that people are staying for hours after a church service 
because they want to be together. Uh, and people from all multiple different generations, that just doesn't happen uh, naturally in any other environment except when we have a community of believers that love each other, they want to be together. And that is a message to the world, the outside world, that we have a special blessing. We have a special opportunity to provide a place of of real joy, a place, as it says here in the subtitle, of people to gather and, and grow in the gospel. If you'd like to find out more information about this Holy Huga and Jamie Erickson, give us a call, 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. But today we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, and I think it fits well within our conversation this uh, uh, with Jamie, that as we're talking about this idea of providing a place of rest, a place of reassurance, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, as Jesus declares to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He provides that rest that we so desperately need. In this message from the late great Dr. R.C. Sproul, we'll unpack this statement of Jesus. It's actually a twofold statement that he is the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath. Here is R.C. Sproul. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took and ate of the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Once again, Luke tells us of a conflict that arises between Jesus and the Pharisees, and this time again it occurs on a Sabbath day. Now keep this in mind that according to the Deuteronomic law, it was indeed permissible to go into a grain field and help themselves, but we remember that the Pharisees were not content for the law of God to stand by itself. They had to add all kinds of details of what was permitted in terms of Sabbath keeping. And according to their traditions, Jesus had violated the Sabbath in terms of the prohibition against unnecessary labor on the Sabbath day. You know, it's a wonder that Jesus being God incarnate didn't at this point have enough and just unleash the full power of his deity on these rascals. But in any case, he patiently answered their objection and reminded them of Old Testament history by calling attention to the account in the book of 1 Samuel of an event that took place in the life of David and his comrades, that when they were very hungry and had no food available to them, they went into the tabernacle and into the holy place where the temple of showbread was, not into the Holy of Holies, but there, this showbread that was on the altar as part of the ceremonies of Old Testament worship, 
David, realizing this was the only food nearby that would be available for him and for his comrades, he went in and took the bread from the altar and fed himself and his soldiers with it. And so what Jesus does simply is rebukes the Pharisees for their failure to understand what David had done in the Old Testament and for their failure to be concerned about the needs of Jesus and his disciples with respect to the elementary matters of food. However, this passage is so much more about what Jesus and his disciples did and how he answered the criticism of the Pharisees for what they did, because in this narrative and on this event, Jesus makes a pronouncement that is overwhelming in its importance for us and for our understanding of him. He said to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we could spend the next six months exploring the depths and the riches of this one statement that Jesus makes on this occasion to the Pharisees. And I'm going to divide it into two parts. The first part is where Jesus calls himself once again the Son of Man. Now, what's strange, extraordinary about this, that this title, Son of Man, occurs in the New Testament for Jesus 92 times. But of those 92 references to Jesus as the Son of Man, 89 of them are from the lips of Jesus Himself. That tells you that in terms of numerical frequency for what Jesus calls Himself, Son of Man is number one. Well, what does it mean? Well, we know that the Bible calls Jesus Son of God and Son of Man. Oh, well, Son of God, that must refer to His deity, and Son of Man must refer to His humanity. Well, that's a vast oversimplification, because to be called a Son of God biblically is to be describing one who is obedient to God. You are the Son of whom you obey. Jesus said. And in the same manner, the title Son of Man, though it has an element of reference to His humanity, the dominant reference to that title is to His deity. So the title Son of Man, the way Jesus is using it, referring to Himself, He's saying to the Pharisees, I'm doing these things that you may know the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is one who comes from heaven, who carries the full measure of His deity with Him, and with that deity, the full authority that is associated with Him. And so then, we see the second part of the statement, that you might know the Son of Man, this heavenly being, this divine being, is the Lord of the Sabbath. What? Jesus never uttered words more startling to the ears of the Pharisees when He said that to them. We ask ourselves, when was the Sabbath day established? We know that it was part of the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from Sinai. Though the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments, it's not established at Sinai. It's instituted in creation. 
established by God in his original work where he worked for six days creating all that there was and on the seventh day he rested and he hallowed it. He sanctified it. The one who made all things now in his incarnation is being challenged by these Pharisees for his behavior on the Sabbath day and he's saying to him, what? You're telling me what I can do on the Sabbath day? Who do you think made the Sabbath day? I oh, didn't say it quite that way. That's the way I would have said it. But he didn't say it that way. But that's the, that is the import of what Jesus is saying to them. You see now why they couldn't wait to kill him as a blasphemer? We know that the original Sabbath in Israel was established on the seventh day of the week, and now Christians worship God in solemn assembly on the first day of the week because the Lord of the Sabbath was resurrected and in his resurrection proved the ultimate intent and purpose of the original Sabbath day by which God provides for his people a time of rest pointing forward to the future time when his people would enter into their rest by resurrection. All these things and so much more are contained in this title, Son of Man, and this claim by our Lord that He, as the Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is a clear declaration of the deity of Christ, that the one who went into the grain field to feed himself and his friends is the one who has come down from heaven, the only one who ever ascended to heaven to be installed at the right hand of the Father as the King of the kings and the Lord of the lords. It is this Son of Man that we serve and worship on His day. A few very key points that I want to draw out of today's passage before we close our program today. The first is that Jesus is ministering on the Sabbath. This is seen throughout the Gospel of Luke, and it's there for a reason, because Luke, unlike the other Gospel writers, wants to make a strong point that as the the early Jesus followers gather together in synagogues on the Sabbath day, we see the same thing happening in the book of Acts. As missionaries were sent out, they would go first on the Sabbath day to a synagogue where they would proclaim as Jesus proclaimed in those synagogues that he was the Christ. They would use the Old Testament readings of scripture to point how they are directing people to Jesus. And then they would do that in their own missionary journeys. They'd go to the Jews first and the synagogues, and they'd proclaim that this is the Messiah that they had been serving. And then what would happen is that usually the synagogue leaders would kick them out, but there would be a few core members that would go with them. And there they would establish their churches, and they would start to meet and gather on Sunday mornings. That very key component to Luke's gospel. He wants us to understand that that was at the very forefront of Jesus' ministry. He gathered together to worship on a particular day, and the early church did the exact same thing. Uh, they gathered on Sundays. Uh, two other points that I want to make that are very important here in the text and the story of Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. He's addressing this issue of food, again, because the disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath day, and that's what was the main antagonism from the Pharisees. In the previous story, at the very end of chapter 5, Jesus is also asked why he's not requiring his uh, followers to fast, because that was a common sense of uh, self-denial. 
uh, this idea of denying yourself, uh, fasting. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Why doesn't he require his disciples to do so? And the reason he answers is because he is the Lord of the Sabbath and he's in their midst. In this context, they ought to celebrate. And so it doesn't mean that there is no need for fasting today. There's no need for self-denial. But the idea that the Pharisees had of self-denial was to not eat on the Sabbath day. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus is not saying deny yourself and and suffer. He, he, he doesn't take pleasure in the the this kind of angst and the hardships of the human experience. But what he is saying is when you deny yourself, it ought to come with a sense of peace and rest in Christ. That we deny the things of this world, whether it's food or all these other pleasures that this world has to offer, but for the sake of finding our true rest in Christ alone. And that is where fasting and rest are tied together. But there's something else seen here in the next story after this, in, in the story where Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, the very next story, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And he asks this question. He does so in, in uh, Luke 13 and Luke 14. He heals two other people on the Sabbath day. And he makes this statement, is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath? And this is the key for you and for me, because all of these miracles that Jesus is performing on the Sabbath day and around this Sabbath celebration is a sign of the kingdom of God advancing. So when Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me, what Jesus is actually doing is inviting us to join with him in advancing his kingdom and seeing that people are blessed and cared for and loved. And this is something that we can do any day of the week, not just keep it all on one day of the week, but we're told to do this daily. Jesus is inviting us not just to celebrate who God is and who Christ is on Sunday, but he's telling us that we can carry this mission forward all seven days of the week. As we worship God, we take up our cross daily and follow him. I hope that this encourages you, and if it has, I hope that you'll be an encouragement to us as well. You can let us know that uh, you're blessed as well as support the work that we're doing here through your financial giving when you write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Luke 9, 23 and 24. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it.